This is the Emergency Medical Minute, sponsored by Mile High Ambulance. The Emergency Medical Minute is excited to announce that we are now offering AMA, PRA, Category 1 credits via online course modules. To access these and for more information, visit our website at www.emergencymedicalminute.com backslash CME-courses, or simply click on the link in our show notes and create an account. Hi, I'm Nick Gordon. I'm an ED doc in California, and I also volunteer one day a week at Lion Martin Health Services, which is an historically LGBTIQ clinic in San Francisco that serves a lot of transgender patients. I'm also a gay and transgender man myself. What I'm going to talk about on this podcast isn't about the medical care of transgender patients in the emergency department, especially since most of the reasons trans people come to the ED has nothing to do with their transgender status, but instead how to think about sexual behavior, sexual orientation, and gender identities in a way that gets you the information you need to treat patients in a culturally competent way that also helps prevent acute foot and mouth syndrome. But first, the big question I always ask as an ED doc is why? Why is this important to my practice and to my patients? First and foremost, it's the 10th rule of the house of God. If you don't take a temperature, you can't find a fever. If you don't know the man you're treating has a uterus and ovaries, you won't be able to diagnose his ectopic pregnancy. But also we know that using transgender people's correct names and pronouns has a direct effect on their mental well-being. For example, the first two citations you see are studies of using transgender youth's chosen names in different social contexts like school, work, and home. Both of those studies demonstrate that using the youth's chosen name is beneficial with regards to depressive symptoms and suicidal ideation, but the Russell study actually showed that just using a youth's chosen name in one more context decreased suicidal behavior by 56%. 56%. How many treatments do you know of that decrease suicidal behavior by half? And all you have to do is call someone their correct name. In addition, numerous studies have shown that between one in five to one half of transgender people report that they avoided coming to the ED when they felt there was a need because they were fearful of transphobic treatment. And this is justified because in those same surveys, the number of people who report past transphobic experiences is usually larger. And I included a few of those citations here. So the motivation in summary is, historically, as a specialty, we've done a pretty bad job, made not just trans, but the entire LGBTIQ community and many other minoritized communities justifiably afraid of us. So it's our job to change that. And guess what? If you do a few simple things, you can change it and you will directly improve healthcare outcomes and may save a life. So now that we know why, let's define a few terms. If you go to the first attached link, you'll find the gender unicorn, which is just a visual way to think about these ideas. All of these characteristics lie on a spectrum, but we like to think of them as discrete boxes. At the top is gender identity, and this is your internal sense of yourself as a gendered person, for which many people, including many transgender people, falls on one of the ends of the spectrum in boxes of male and female. But some people identify in the middle and may identify as non-binary or other genders or even agender. The thing about it though, is you can't tell someone's gender identity just by looking at them. It's entirely subjective, and the only way you can know someone's gender identity is to ask. 
Then next we have gender expression, which is the way we present ourselves to others in gendered ways, which can include clothing, hairstyles, makeup, activities and group membership, for example, joining a fraternity or sorority, work styles, body language, etc. And this is something you can look at external to the person. But realize this doesn't tell you about the person's gender identity. As an example, when Caitlyn Jenner won the Olympic decathlon in 1976, her gender expression was pretty masculine at the time. But if she'd been asked and felt safe enough to answer honestly, she would have said her gender identity was female. And realize for some people, gender expression changes with context. Transgender and generally gender nonconforming people are often very adept at gendered code switching when necessary. And so they may revert to a less gender nonconforming style of speech and behavior when they're under stress, for example, if they're in the emergency department. Assigned sex at birth is basically what it says. It's what was written on your birth certificate based on what is in most cases a pretty cursory look at the external genitalia. This is important though, because we often need to know this information in the emergency department. For example, the differential for a transgender man's pelvic pain includes ectopic pregnancy. And a good way to ask that, and what is at least at the time that I'm reporting this, considered a more respectful way to do so is just ask that. What was your sex assigned at birth? For example, you could describe me as a man who is assigned female sex at birth or as a trans man who is assigned female sex at birth. Both of those work for me. Then lastly, emotional and sexual attraction. And given we're talking about various genders, it's easier to talk about sex to which one is attracted than an identity. And we do that already when we talk about MSM and WSW, because for example, we know that not all men who have sex with men identify as gay or even bisexual. But in this case, it's also nice to have other acronyms in your pocket. For example, I'm a TMSM, a trans man who has sex with men. So now that you have that background, how do you ask questions to get that information you need to treat people in a culturally competent way? The first step is finding out name and pronouns that your patient wants to use, which may sound daunting, but I'm going to share with you a really easy trick. Ask. Seriously, just ask. So I might say, hi, I'm Dr. Gorton. I'll be your emergency department doctor today. What name would you like me to call you? And you'll find that this is also useful with cisgender patients too. Mr. John Lee may go by the nickname Shorty and you just made a more personal connection with Shorty if you take the time to find that out. And also just to clarify, in the same way that transgender means someone whose gender identity differs from the sex they were assigned at birth, a cisgender person is someone whose gender identity is the same as the sex they were assigned at birth. So cisgender is to transgender as heterosexual is to homosexual. With pronouns, the easiest way is to just normalize the hell out of it. Wear a badge pull with your pronouns on it. And let me tell you, there are a ton of really cool options on Etsy. And I realize that you aren't going to ask every patient about pronouns in the emergency department. I don't. But in the cases where you have any clue that the patient may be a SOGI minority, SOGI is an acronym for sexual orientation, gender identity. If you think they are, you should know how to ask this question. You should ask, what pronouns can I use for you? Or if you want extra points and you don't have pronouns on your badge poll, you might say, my pronouns are he, him. What pronouns should I use for you? And once patients have shared that information with you, ask them if they would like you to share that with the care team that's treating them. And if they say yes, it is now your job to make sure that every person who will interact with that patient knows and uses the correct name and pronoun. The same goes with family. Ask first. Ask the patient if they're okay with you sharing this information because remember, transgender status is actually PHI. 
So once you have the right name and pronoun, sometimes you also need to know about physical characteristics and sexual practices. And you can ask about those directly, but one really important tip, preface why you are asking. For example, a transgender man in a motor vehicle crash might need a lot of imaging, and you might want to know if he could be pregnant. If you just start off with, have you had a hysterectomy? From his perspective, he just got hurt in a wreck, and you're asking whether or not he's had gender confirmation surgery. So instead say, we need to do some imaging to see if you have any internal injuries. I see that you're transgender in your medical record, and pregnancy would change the way we proceed with imaging. So can I ask you whether or not you've had a hysterectomy? And that also works with all sexual health questions you may need in all patients, not just LGBTIQ plus patients. And lastly, I want to share with you a quick tip about screwing up because everyone does. I still screw up occasionally, and I'm a transgender ED physician who also works at a historically LGBTIQ clinic every week. So when you do mess this up, because it will happen, quickly acknowledge the error, apologize, and immediately move on. For example, if I misgendered a patient who uses they, them pronouns, I might say, I'm so sorry, Chris, I meant to say them. So is there anything else that you're allergic to besides penicillin? Because trust me, no one in that situation wants you to make it a big deal. And finally, if you'd like to learn a little more, I included the last citation, which is a paper I co-authored a few years ago in Annals of Emergency Medicine with more concrete tips for improving ED experiences for transgender people. The second link I listed after the transgender unicorn is Transline, a national clinical consultation service for healthcare providers who have specific questions about transgender patients. And full disclosure, I'm one of the lead clinicians on Transline. Unfortunately, it's not a real-time service at the moment. You get your answers, but it's in two business days. But it does have a lot of resources, including short treatment guidelines and a harm reduction pamphlet about silicone pumping for patients that also has information for providers as well. Thanks very much for listening. The Emergency Medical Minute would like to thank our sponsor, Swedish Medical Center, for helping fund our nonprofit organization and make this podcast possible. Donations are essential to our organization to cover operational costs and fund the creation of our online courses offering AMA PRA Category 1 credits. So if you enjoy our show, and if you're able to make a one-time or recurring donation towards our organization, any amount is helpful. Please click the link in our show notes to make a donation. Thank you for listening.